You see, the word of God has the power to change lives. I first became a Christian back in a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> 53 years ago. But I was 18 years old when I met Jesus. And suddenly something happened in me. I began to read the word of God and I devoured it. It took me three months to go through it the first time. Just three months. For every moment I had, I would read it. I would read it. I would read it. I always read the Bible with a piece of paper and a pencil. And I take notes as I go. And that slowed me down a little bit. But I enjoyed reading it. I fell in love with the word of God because it's what changes our lives. It's, it's what has a purpose to us. But what fascinated me was the fact that God communicated to man. That God spoke his word for us. You know, he didn't just leave it written in a cloud someplace and hope somebody could read it. He, he communicated through people to bring us a living word of God. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Literally, God breathed. He breathed his word through men's hearts. Now, there is a demonic thing where it says, well, it's called automatic writing. They close their eyes and just write something. No, 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 no. God moved in the heart of men by his spirit, breathed through them his word that changes our lives. But look at what it says. It's profitable. How many like to make profit on something? Well, what about the rest of you? Well, I figured everybody wants to make a profit on something. But this says that the word of God is for our profit. But it lists several areas. It says for doctrine. I've had people tell me, I don't like doctrine. Doctrine is simply the teaching of scripture. Especially when it becomes systematic and, and laid in order. The Bible says in Isaiah that we learn best line upon line, precept upon precept. That's what doctrine is. is teaching us the word of God. For reproof. Reproof. Literally step back. Step back, and it's a warning to us. It says it's for correction, to change course, make a correction. I had a board member in one of our churches who programmed the Apollo moon flights. He programmed uh, four, uh, four, five, and six, the guidance system. And I asked him one day, what would happen if you had just been one ten thousandths of an inch off in your calculations? He said, we'd have missed the moon by thousands upon thousands of miles, and the astronauts would have been lost. It's that critical. Well, you and I are allowed, through God's word, to make some mid-course corrections, to make sure we get to the right destination, that he's ready for you and I, and he's waiting for us. But it says it's also for instruction in righteousness. Now, we have a little problem with that. Our human nature doesn't like that. Our human nature is contrary to God's nature. Our human nature leads us away from God. And yet his word, when we accept Jesus Christ in our heart and his word begins to breathe and move within us, it brings us the instruction in righteousness. You know, literally a, a simple definition for righteousness is right standing. That you have the right standing with God. And so his word is profitable for all these reasons to bring me into a closer relationship to Jesus Christ than I've ever been before. God's word is for every situation. It's for every season of life. 
You know, I don't know anybody getting any younger. Well, my brother does. When my brother turned 65, he, instead of getting older, he started going younger. So now, instead of being two years older than me, he's six years younger than me. I don't think it works that way, but he says it does. But the older I get, the more I find God's word has kept me from and leading me to. He's kept me all these years and he's still keeping me. See, in the word of God, there's no age divisions. There is no young or old in the word of God. We're the children of God. There are no such things, such beings as grandchildren of God. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. To whosoever believed gave him the power to become the children of God. It's not age difference that matters. There's no ethnic barriers. You don't find racism as an issue in the scripture. It doesn't matter whether you're red, green, or purple. He loves you the same. Remember that little song you used to, to learn and sing as kids, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight? That's the truth. It doesn't matter where you came from. It matters where you're going because he's alive. There's no class separations. There is no rich and poor. There's no distinction. It's not like in India where they have the caste system, where they can't even go from the lower caste to a higher caste. It can't be done. You're just cast for life wherever you are. That's supposed to become illegal a few years ago, but hasn't had any effect. People treat them the same. But God doesn't. But I read an interesting statement the other day. It says, however, since God does not change, we can be certain that his truth does not change. It relates to all people in all situations for all time. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He loves me the same as he's loved the previous generation, and he's loved me, he loves me the same as he will the next generation if his coming is delayed any further. He loves us, and we can depend upon his word. It doesn't change. Man tries to change it. It's amazing what they try to leave out of it sometimes. Various cultic groups, they say, well, you know, uh, he really didn't mean that. It means this. We'd be better off if we'd learned to read it as it says. Accept it for what it is and change us to match it instead of saying, well, God really didn't mean it. If he said it, he meant it, okay? It's that simple. But we need to start learning to live that way. See, that's one of the reasons I'm excited about that video you just saw, Bible Engagement Project. It was started you know, back in 2017. It took them years and millions of dollars. They had, had partnered with a group called Faith Life, who was the, the creators of the Logo Study Bible because they had the technology and they put together this beautiful program to help you and I grow and be discipled. But they decided they wanted to make it free to anybody who wants this, pro this app, this program. And so they separated from Faith Life and now it's totally an Assembly of God program, but it's not limited to the Assemblies of God. Anybody can download that app and grow in Jesus. It's designed to help us to fall in love with God's word over and over again. Throughout history, the Assembly of God was founded back in 1914. I'll give you a history lesson. Pentecostals were kicked out of churches all around them. They finally formed their own fellowship. But from that point on, they became known as people of the word. Everything they preached was based upon the word of God. 
It wasn't the opinion of man. It wasn't a book report. Well, unless they're giving a book report on the book of John. But otherwise, it was a, it's the people of the word of God that we would study, we would read, we would concentrate upon it. Sunday school was designed to take you through the entire Bible. Every seven years, you were through that Bible. And some of you remember those years, because about every seven years, you went through the life of Paul again. <laughs> but God is faithful. When we adhere to his word, it changes us from the inside out. But we need to return to the day that we're known as a people of the word. As a people of the word. Because it's what made it free to worship and disciple others around us. But why are we launching the Bible Engagement Project at High Point Assembly of God? See, it's going to become the root of our small group ministry. The way it works is that everything, every group will be studying together. But no one teacher, no one administrator or facilitator is going to look at it the same. But I'll show you how it works in a moment. But the reason we're doing it this way is because of what he mentioned earlier with some Bible surveys that were done. This slide that's coming up should show you 87% of the households in America have at least one Bible. How many have at least one Bible in your house? How many of you have a half a dozen Bibles in your house? Uh -huh. I've got four Bibles on my telephone. I'm a Bible nut. I love the Bible, okay? But read the big print. 87% of American households have at least one Bible, but only one in five claim to have ever read the entire Bible. Only one in five, that's 20%. They mentioned it on that video, but I want to reinforce it. Bible literacy rates are at an all-time low, even in the church. It's been dropping for the last 25 to 30 years. In a previous church I went to pastor, I discovered they didn't even know the basic Bible stories. So for the six months, first six months I was there, I preached the Bible stories and taught them the stories of Noah, Moses, Abraham, Joseph. I taught them those simple Bible stories and how they apply to our life. They didn't know what they were. They were fascinated with them. I have a friend who can tell you everything there is to know about end time prophecy. But he doesn't know a thing about the giving of the Ten Commandments, the stories of Moses, the crossing of the Red Sea. See, we have a tendency to only begin to study what we want to study. To only dig out to prove a point. Something we're fascinated with. But I tell you a simple truth. You can never fully understand the New Testament till you begin to study the Old Testament. It's the foundation. I've had to be reminded sometimes as a pastor to get out of the Old Testament, will you? Because I love the Old Testament. If you can't find Jesus in the Old Testament, you're not looking. Because <laughs> he's there. But it's a shame when God's people begin to lack that basic understanding. That basic literacy. See, now you may not be in that description I just read of those who didn't know the Bible stories or don't know the basis of things. But not everybody in this fellowship today, in this place, have had the advantages you have had. Some of you have grown up with Christian families. My wife and I were the opposites. 
She grew up in a Christian home and she can barely remember the young age when she accepted Jesus into her life. She was about five years old. And she had Christian parents who read the Bible and, and prayed with them day after day and day after, every time the church doors were open, they were in the church. I was the opposite. I was sent to church, but I don't remember ever praying with my parents at home until years later. I said, wait a minute, your son left the pastors here. I'm going to pray with you. Because God moved and brought us from different directions, but we both have to have the word of God. There's a pie chart that I want you to look at. This was from a survey done among Americans. When they were asked, how much of the Bible have you personally read? Well, if you begin looking over here on the left, 15% said at least half of it. 12% said almost all of it. 11% said all of it. And then there's 9% who said, I've read it more than once. Now, if you add those up, that's about 37, 47%, something like that. Yeah, 47%. But you got to keep in mind the other half of that chart. 10% said they've never read any of it. Another 13% said only a few sentences. And then there's 30% said, well, some passages and some stories. That's pretty bad. It used to be that's how people were taught to read was the Bible. It was taught as a, as a, as a, uh, a course in schools for many, many years because there was a moral teaching they didn't get anyplace else. But we've lost those things. We've changed. The Bible Society in, 19, in January of 2023 out of 100 million adults that they contacted, out of 100 million adults, 39% said they used the Bible three or more times a year. Now, that was an interesting phrase. They used the Bible. What did they use it for? Doorstop? <laughs> I think that needed to be a little more <clears throat> detailed as to what they did with it. But even if we take it for granted, they pick it up and read it once in a while. You come out at 39%? That's awful. But look at the chart. It held fairly steady for many, many years, even prior to 2011. And then after the pandemic began to taper off, it went. Now, we can blame a lot of things on the pandemic. And I, for the life of me, don't, I can't figure out why it had an effect on that. I really don't. But what my concern is, 39% of the people only pick up their Bible three times a year? How can we learn the word of God without looking in his word? How can we do it? In the days in which we live, it's vital that we return to the scripture. It's vital that we have a foundation Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. Hope. Now, hope is used in two ways. We use it as a, a verb. I hope for something. I hope my wife will feed me lunch, okay? We hope for something. 
But it's also in scripture used as a noun, hope. What I'm reaching for, what I'm looking forward to. He is my hope. We need the word of God if we're going to know what that hope is. In a world of despair, we can have hope through Jesus Christ. In a, in a world that's totally lost and has no way to turn and doesn't know what to do with itself and the suicide rate is becoming really serious because they have no hope, we have hope. That hope that's recorded in the word of God is what they have to have and we can give it to them. We can have that hope by seeing the whole story of God. Years ago, we took a church through a thing called the story. It was a one-year travel through the scriptures. And it talked about having two stories. God's story, the upper story, from beginning to the end. And then there's the lower story, you and I living it out. To get to him. To find him. To walking through this world with hope in our heart. See, you and I have to begin to start to balance everything in this world through Jesus Christ. What does the word of God say? We need to begin to, to hear something and say, wait a minute. Let me run that through the filter of God's word. It's amazing what comes out the other side of that filter. It's contrary to the, what the world believes. What the world thinks. Now, I try to stay out of politics. It's healthier that way. But even our, our politics need to be filtered through the word of God. Yes. We need to view everything in our lives through a Bible filter. Do I see a perfect world? No. But I see a world Jesus can work in. I see a world that the Bible has some conversations to take place with. But there's a larger problem that's hidden in the midst of all this. The larger problem that's hidden when people are not studying the word of God is simply they reject the word of God as the infallible, absolutely authority of our lives. Instead, they don't have anything that's fixed and reliable. They have no sure foundation. And what they believe today will be different tomorrow. Whatever the winds of the world change and however it blows. Without the word of God, we have no fixed anchor point. I'm not a little, I don't want to say I'm a skeptic. But, you know, it's like Reagan said, those fearful words. Hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. No. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We can't put our trust in the things of this world. We can't put our trust in people. We can't put our trust in, in money. Our trust has to be simply on an unchangeable word of God. Then we have something to measure from. Now, I'm not much of a carpenter. I can bend nails just as easy as the next guy. <laughs> but I did learn something. And that is you never trust a tape measure until you compare it to another tape measure. And you don't change brands halfway through the house. <laughs> I even learned I couldn't trust my level. I keep two levels and see which one's right. 
No, you have to compare it to something. In Colorado, I think it's Colorado Springs in the Naval Observatory is a, a room that's kept as cold as they can possibly get it, almost down to, you know, minus 200 and some degrees. In that is a metal made out of a special, special type of metal, yardstick. It's actually a meter stick. And that is the standard that everything is measured off of because it won't change. Because if, if they were to take it out, it warms up, it gets longer. Or if it's cold, it gets smaller. But that gives them a sure standard. Friends, we have a standard, but are you using it? When you hear on the news all these traumatic things that are happening around the world, and remember to pray for Israel, will you please? You read all these things, and it's awful easy for us to get wrapped up in what the commentators are saying. Uh-uh. Measure what they're saying by the word of God. That's the only thing you can depend on. Because God doesn't change. So how can we participate in this? Well, the Bible Engagement Project, a long name, sometimes we just refer to it as BEP, is a totally app-based program. It's usable on an iPhone. You can go to the, to the iTunes store. You can get it on Android at the Google store, I guess it's called. <laughs> It'll work on any smartphone. It'll work on any tablet. It'll work on your computer. It's easy to use. It can even be printed out to give to your friends that don't have a computer. See, the purpose is simply to equip Christians and churches like ours to help people read and understand Scripture and how it relates to their lives today. You can set up groups to read, which that's what's going to be gone doing in our small groups. Pastor will be speaking more about that in the coming weeks. We hope to, just after Easter, begin kicking those off. Every group will be using the same one. If you take a group, a group that want to meet one week, that's okay. Do them all at home and catch up the next week. Away you go. There's a lesson for everyone. There's a, a video, really extremely well done videos to, to touch off discussions. And after you have all that discussion, there's five days of devotions for every single lesson. The first series is called The Listen. The Listen Curriculum. It takes you all the way from Genesis through Revelation showing the story of God. Showing the story of, from creation to his return. Then the next year is called Learn. So you learn some of the key factors of the scriptures, the key teachings of scripture. And the next year is how do you live it? How do you apply it? How do you really make this work in you? But all along you're growing. You're growing all together. See, we use the tools and we engage with the word of God as a whole congregation. Some of the groups are even going to have places where your children can come. And there is a part of this curriculum that is absolutely fantastic for children. They got a mad scientist and a whole bunch of other stuff. Really cool. But you know, I've learned something many years ago. I've had people as a pastor that would 
leave their Bible laying in the church pew. All week they're wondering, where'd my Bible go? They come back next week, there it is. Or some of them didn't even know they missed it. That's even worse. As pastor, it's kind of fun sometimes to go to somebody's house and you'll see a Bible laying out there. Pretty soon you'll see him reach over and dust it off. <laughs> Very discreetly. I used to have, I don't know, about 25 Bibles. I gave away most of them. I gave most of my library to a young pastor a while back. But a Bible on a shelf has absolutely no value. It doesn't. The Bible in your phone has no value until you read it. Until you understand what it's saying to you. And that's why the Bible engagement. To help people be encouraged to read the scriptures. To help people share together even and, and understand. And to grow. Doug Clay, our present general counsel superintendent, was behind the force, the driving force to make this free. He talked to the executive presbytery and he said, you know what? I don't want the cost of this program keeping one church from having the best possible discipleship programs. I want it to be free. And they said, okay. There's no cost now. You download it and you study together. You can do it by yourself. But there's something about friends helping each other and holding each other accountable. Hey, what did you think about that devotion last night? You, well, I didn't read it. All this is is an encouragement to get us into the word of God like never before. To restore that love for God's word. Back to where it used to be. I was thinking about those years before. Yeah, I fell in love with the word of God, but then I went to Bible school. You know, and one of the problems with Bible school is that you're reading the word of God and you're studying the word of God, but it's going right there. And if you're not careful, you forget to put it right here. We had to guard against that. So we make sure that we still are in the same love relationship with the word of God. I still love to read it. This year, my our devotions are taking us through together, chronologically through the Bible. But in my devotions in my office every morning, I'm just reading through. I started in the book of Matthew and I'm just reading through again and working my way through. It's the word of God that we have to fill ourselves with. Sorry, the romance novel won't cut it. Unless you consider that the word of God is the greatest romance letter ever given. I could make you a challenge today, but I don't want anybody to feel bad. Try to spend as much time in God's word as you do watching television. Nothing wrong with television. I have one. 
But it's so much easier for us just to sit down and plant ourselves and zone out. We need to put the word of God in that place again. The word of God describes itself. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, it says, Then I said, I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah is known as the reluctant prophet. He didn't want to be a prophet. And he got awful tired of them spitting at him and hitting him and throwing him into pits. And so he finally said, I'm not doing this anymore. Have you ever told God you're not going to do something? One of my favorite things about that is in an old movie called Bruce Almighty. And and, and, and the the actor is saying, but I have plans, my plans. And God starts laughing, your plans. (laughs) You You ever felt like that? Well, that's what Jeremiah did. I'm not doing this anymore. But he discovered when he didn't, the fire was burning within him. God's word was a fire burning within him that he could not contain, and he couldn't hold it back anymore. If you read on further in the book of Ephesians, it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's a sword. Now, I went to a small Bible school in North Dakota. It's kind of like Moses going to the backside of the wilderness. Well, one of the requirements, I had to have a physical education class. They later figured out I was getting enough exercise because I worked 40 hours a week on top of school. But for the first three weeks, I had to have a PE class. And I chose fencing. No, not building fences in North Dakota. No, no, fencing as in sword fighting, okay? I learned something. A sword is an offensive weapon. Your shield is defensive, but a sword is for use for offense. Now, you might block their blows, but the whole purpose is to get them and stick them, okay? The word of God is described right here as a sword. A sword that moves, A sword that can be used as that offensive weapon against the enemy of this world. But in Hebrews, it describes it as a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword cuts both directions. No matter which way you swing it, it's going to hurt. Have you ever read something in the Word of God that hurts? That's the Word of God as a sword. Piercing to the very depth of sinew against bone to separate us from that which we have no part of it's a sword the bible also in psalms 119 105 your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path it's a lamp but notice it says your word not my word his word is a lamp to our path. It's a lamp that shows the way. You're on a walk or a journey, and it shows you the way, but it also shows you the way back. That you can find your way home. And friends, home is in the presence of God. That we can find our way. Now, lamps no longer generate a lot of heat 
like the years gone by. We pastored a, a church and people used to say, man, it's hot in here and on Sunday nights. Well, I wondered why. They had nine light bulbs, 300 watts each. Now, that means you got 2,700 watts of light. You also got 2,700 watts of heat. Our new lights don't use that kind of heat. They convert energy. But you see, the word of God gives us life. The word of God gives us power. The word of God gives us revelation. I don't have to be fearful of what's going on in this world. The worse it gets, the more I just look up my redemption's coming nigh. The word of God brings peace in troubled times. It brings hope when there is no hope. It brings power to reach to the world around you and change it. You have people that are living in fear that live around you. Not, they're not afraid of you, but they're afraid. They're terrified. Of, we may have a nuclear war. I have a strange perspective on that. That just means I go home quicker. That's why I'm, I'm really not afraid to fly. What do I have to lose? Either way, we gain. That's the word of God. The word of God in Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of the water by the word. The water of life. The word of God. It brings us a source of purity. It brings us consistency. Water is made of H2O. That's water. God created that molecule to work together. It's always the same. Now, I grant you, some places water stinks. But it's still H2O. It's always the same. The word of God never changes. There's a certain cultic group in America that in their sacred book, there have been over 2,000 major changes since 1870s. The only changes that occur in scripture is they might replace an obsolete word with a newer version of that word. But it doesn't change doctrine. It doesn't change your belief. It doesn't change your salvation. It doesn't change. He kept it the same for you and I. People change, not just because we get old, but people change. We have seasons in our life. But the one constant thing is the scripture, the water of life. The Bible says that he might sanctify through the washing of the word. That word sanctification I love some of those great big old words. Sanctification in simplest form is to be made holy, to be made holy, clean in the presence of God. But the word of God causes a desire for that to happen. 
The more we read the word of God, the more we want to become like Jesus. David cried out, and he cried out to God, and he said, I'm not going to be happy till I awaken in your image. What a cry. I thought my fall alarm went off there for a moment. (laughs) You see, the word of God moves within us and makes us want to be like him. Will I ever be like Jesus? I'm trying. I'm still working at it. But it's his scripture that leads me that way and keeps me going. See, those things are, I I, I put a little note here, that's God's toolbox. It's his toolbox, fire, a sword, water. It's his toolbox to bring us closer to him than we've ever been before, to do his plan, his purpose, to demonstrate his power to a lost world. You see, you can take this app. And sometimes when we mention the small groups, you immediately start thinking, well, I want so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so in my group. How about your next-door neighbor who doesn't even go to church? See if they want to join you with a small group. What about that person you work with that you know they're kind of hungry because every now and then they'll ask you something and say, hey, I'm going to get together and we, we got this Bible lab. Why don't you look at it? We're just going to have a group over my house and discuss it in the evenings. You want to come and join? You may be amazed who you can reach out and touch. And then you'll be really amazed that their lives begin to change. And they begin to see the word of God for what it is. God wants to use you. He mentioned in that video that I asked him to show that Bible engagement is just, it's not just another curriculum. It's a deliberate process to engage the word of God and grow as believers in Jesus. It takes the word of God for you and I to grow. It takes the word of God being put within us that causes our lives to change. I've visited a few churches over the years that they major in telling you what you can't do. When it's the word of God speaking into your life, it's much easier to swallow and grow up. To allow God's word to form you and to reach out to somebody beside you. Discipleship, though, takes a commitment, takes a commitment in our hearts to follow through on what he wants. It can't be your New Year's resolution because nobody ever keeps those anyway. Those are kind of a wish list, okay? It's kind of like the guy that said, my New Year's resolution is to lose 20 pounds while he's eating a banana split. Something wrong with this picture, right? Not the banana split. I love banana, but anyway... um, (laughs) 
But growing as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ is the same way. Although we have to have a commitment that we are not going to break. We are going to keep it. That's why joining with one of the small groups will help you because you help each other. You encourage each other. And friends, let me encourage you to do that. Let's go back to where we began. 2 Timothy 3.16. That verse says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What has the word of God been challenging you with this week? As you were reading your word of God, reading your Bible this week, what did God challenge you with? What did you read in there and say, wait a minute, what's that doing here? My wife was reading her devotions one one time many, many years ago, 30 years ago. And she said, I don't like this story. And I said, what story? So she read it to me. And I said, well, let's look a little closer at that story. Because an old prophet of God had lied to a young prophet and caused him to sin. And the end result was that young prophet died. But if you look a little closer, the old prophet had to bury the result of his sin. He had to bury the young man. Doesn't sound fair, does it? But you read the whole story. That's why it's important to take the entire word of God and not just pick and choose at it. You can make the word of God say some interesting things if you take it out of context. But I learned very quickly when I became a Christian that Always read the verses before and the verses after. See how it fits. But what has God been speaking to you this week? See, I believe God is is moving to prepare the hearts of men and women. That he wants to create this hunger within you for the word of God. He wants this hunger within you to grow until it becomes second nature for you to join with other believers taking the word of God all the way through. It can have a tremendous impact. What do you need to talk to God about at the altar? This verse says, profitable to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to instruct us. What do you need to talk to God about at the altar? I believe that God is doing something. Scott, would you bring the worship team, please? I believe God is dealing with hearts and lives and will continue through the next coming weeks to create this hunger that when those small groups start up, we'll be a part of it. And there'll be an opportunity for every one of you to be a part of what God is doing. Some of you may choose to teach or to what we call a facilitator. Everyone's got the material. It's just a matter of keeping the discussions going. God may ask you to do that. Some of you will not be comfortable doing that. But how many of you have discovered that God doesn't put a high premium on my comfort? 
Yeah. But I believe even in a service like this this morning, which has been more informational than inspirational perhaps, that God's word can speak into your life even in this kind of a service. And you need to deal with him at the altar. There's something about responding to an altar that cements what's going on in our life. About putting action to what is taking place. And say, God, here I am. Let's talk this through. As the worship team leads us, let me encourage you to find your place at the altar. Speak to God this morning and let him speak to you. Sometimes the most precious times we can spend at an altar is listening to let God speak to us. So as they bring us into worship again, find your place. And after a time of prayer, I'll come back and we'll close the service. But let God do a work in you today from his word. Go ahead. Father, that's the cry of our hearts today, God. Change our hearts, oh God. But Lord, the only way we know how to do that is through your word. Father, I pray that God, you would create a hunger to know your word more. That God, you create an openness within our spirit to receive that word. That God, you create within us, God, courage to do what it says. And God, that our lives will never be the same. Father, I believe in this room, oh God, are men and women, God, that can lead those groups. And God, you're gonna begin speaking to them, oh God, about that in the coming weeks. But Father, beyond that, God, I believe you're going to stir within each of us to see the absolute necessity to learn your word more powerful than ever before. Father, we pray for those that have needs here this morning, God. God, you're still the healer. God, touch your people this day, oh God. Lord, those within the need, God, as they open their heart to you, God, begin to sweep over them and make Jesus meet them where they are. And friends, if you don't know Jesus, then part of this message means very little to you. But you can know him today. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, come and live in me. He will hear you when you cry. He will hear you and touch you. And you will be born again. Father, may you watch over your people. God, keep them safe. God, provide for them. Lord, may you put a shield round about them, oh God. And Father, may you put your hand upon Pastor David and Lisa as they're traveling. Bring them safely back, oh God, to us that we can worship together again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to keep praying around the altars, that's fine. Feel free to do so. May God bless you.